Welcome to Honest Retail, the weekly podcast that dishes out the truth about the latest news, trends, and blunders from the CPG, consumer, and retail industries. Now, here are your hosts, Cameron McCarthy, Taylor Foxman, and Carlton Fowler. everybody welcome to this week's episode of honest retail we are on episode 35 uh no cj this week uh he's dealing with some with some personal issues and we wish him the best this week uh we are joined uh, as always with taylor and then a great guest uh, which we were really excited to secure this week uh eli weiss from jones road um eli i was able to to meet you uh over the weekend at uh, expo east how was the how was the show for you um, it's been fun. I think it's, you know, it's been six months since I left food and beverage, but, um, wasn't going to miss the expo. It feels like, I guess I'm a mascara slinger now, but it feels like it feels like soda, <laughs> food and beverage. It feels like that's, these are my people. So it's been, it's been a blast. Great to finally meet you and meet a whole bunch of people that, you know, I've been working alongside for, I don't know, three years of my career. So. Yeah, they have the health and beauty section like there in Expo West, but like, and you can always tell like those few aisles because like the smell like really hits you like for those aisles, like <laughs> compared to the other ones. Um, but it's definitely like a food and beverage show um, through and through. So we'll get into Expo a little bit and, and what stood out to you, but like, let's go into your background first. Uh, just, you know, bring anybody kind of up to speed on your background, how you started and uh, really kind of how you became this, you know, customer experience specialist. Yeah. So, uh, I guess let's let's zoom out. Let's back up a little bit. Um, really quiet kid, introvert from New Jersey, grew up in the Orthodox Jewish world, number two of 10 children. Um, most of the people that grow up in my universe stick around there for the rest of their lives. Um, I started traveling at the age of 14, 15. Um, my older brother and I did a road trip in the summer. We drove from Jersey to California and I was just a weird introvert because I'm obsessed of, you know, obsessed with the science of people, of humans and how they interact. Um, got excited about travel, long story, very short, moved to New York at the age of 18, uh, learned about credit points and miles, um, put together like 1.2 million miles in a year and a half, which is a separate story, started traveling, um, spent my early adult life uh, traveling, lived in Israel for four years, um, saw like 30 something countries um, in my early twenties, had no high school education or college education, did my GED in my early twenties and kind of got involved in startups because that's the only space where you can just fuck around and find out, right? It's like the only space where you can just, if you can do it and you can, you know, if you can prove that you're capable, you're in, um, spent four years in luggage, uh, thought I loved luggage. Turns out I love travel and don't really care what I travel with, um, kind of was a generalist most of my career. So did everything from customer experience to marketing and Amazon ads, Facebook ads, ops, logistics. We were shipping to like 64 countries. So basically did everything. It was a tiny team, uh, myself and the CEO, the smallest, the largest, it was, you know, 17 of us um, was there for four years. COVID hit, luggage wasn't, wasn't a thing. And then kind of pushed into food and beverage. The funny part about this, and I don't share this very often because most people don't know anything about this universe, but between, between the three of us, um, I feel like we'll have a laugh. My dad works at, my dad works at Royal Wine. Parent company is Keiko, which owns Manischewitz, um, which is just like one of the largest kosher food distributors in, in the world right now. 
Um, my dad's on the wine side. So my family has been in food and beverage. My grandfather had a food distribution company called Hadara, which was bought by Keiko. Um, so my family has been in food and beverage for forever. I had an uncle that worked at Menashevitz for the longest time, another uncle that works at Kenover, which is another food distribution. So swore I wouldn't touch food and beverage. I was like, I am going to do something different and ended up at Simulate and then at Olipop um, and very much did do the food and beverage thing. And then hopped into beauty six months ago. So that's my 30 second spiel in about, I don't know, six minutes. And what's really like, and kind of talk to us about your role, um, you know, now with Jones River Beauty and kind of before it simulated an Olipop, like really going deep on like customer experience and, and what was it that like made that, you said going from a generous to a specialist, what was it like other than just the inherent interest and in how human beings act? On a very, very uh, basic level, I couldn't fucking get a job as a generalist. <laughs> um, I think that we often talk about, you know, the range by David Epstein and and founders and and kind of the tool set and, and the capability of being able to do everything. It's great. But at the end of the day, as companies go from 10 to 20, that's kind of when they stop hiring generalists and start and start looking for specialists. I was excited about ops and logistics, just career path wise, like you can, you can easily grow in that role and make decent money. Um, I was struggling with the idea of taking something that I didn't feel like feels super easy to wake up in the morning and do. I think we've pushed from two spectrums. You know, my dad's, my dad's generation is like, you don't have to like what you do. You work to put food on the table. You know, I think, I think, uh, you know, Gen Z has gone, like, if you don't like what you do, don't do it. Um, I think, you know, millennials like myself were in this idea of like, I want a job where it feels easy, where it feels like I can wake up in the morning and it's just, it's natural. Like there, there are going to be some hard times. There are going to be some easy times, but it feels like it's not taking up three quarters of my brain to just start doing the work. Um, and I just felt like I had a leg up, um, when it came to CX, I think I, I view conversations in kind of the ping pong way where I understand what people are saying and, and read between the lines better than most, and that was basically what I was looking for. Like, what's my, I guess they call it zone of genius, right? Like, where where can I just operate? Um, CX has always been this like $35,000 a year job. Um, first thing that's outsourced, the absolute worst part of the business. And I kind of had this viewpoint being on the marketing side of the business for a while. I had this vision around retention and how it doesn't necessarily mean spending $100,000 a month on sending cards to people in the mail or spamming people once they left, but how it's, you know, this more holistic view on the entire experience and how customer experience can play into it. So that was my, my step up was like, I can do customer experience, but I'll do it differently. And I realized that if you can be in the top one, five, 10% of any space, um, you'll make that top one, five, 10% of money. And, and, the hardest part for me, I think people see me now and they're like, oh, he doesn't stop talking on Twitter or he's posting on LinkedIn. Like all that stuff is really not natural to me. Um, I'm really introverted, but that's given me my entire career. So just just sharing my viewpoint on all this stuff and trying to rally brands around the customers. Yeah, that's awesome. I think especially as, as these brands are building larger and larger audiences online and, and working to be truly omni-channel, like 
being able to own your narrative, but do it in a way that's going to increase retention and bring those customers back and increasing their basket size and all that good stuff is, is awesome. I think one of the cool things about CX is like, it's really measurable, right? Like if you're doing a good job, like at the end of the day, you're going to be able to see kind of how that plays out for the, the business. And uh, there a lot of roles sometimes inside the company, you can't, it's not palpable, like when you do a good job. So that's the one cool thing I would have to assume around CX. Yeah. I mean, the downside is, is that it's the first thing that's outsourced and, yeah. you know, brands will consistently post like, Hey, look at our response time. It's three minutes. And it's like, we pay $3 an hour for it. And I think that's kind of the, the education piece that it's not about response time. Like you've never felt a certain kind of way about a brand because they responded to you quickly. If the response was lukewarm at best. Right. So it's, it's, it's really talking to people like human, like, you know, 40 something percent of customers that reach out to us end up filling out the, the, you know, the CSAT survey compared to regular brands are at seven or 8%. So the reason why that is, is because people on our team, like our CX team, they act like themselves and they're creating real relationships. And you generally don't get that um, when you outsource for $3 an hour. Now you can, you can do anything outsource and crush it. But I think as a, as a broader rule, it's like, how can we put a tremendous amount of, of, you know, a tremendous amount of, um, focus on CX. And we've, we've seen even, you know, I'm very new to the beauty industry, but on my, on my free time, I hop around on LinkedIn and search some beauty brands and then look at all their employees and see that there's, oh, that's where there's not a single CX person. Um, and then you broaden the search and you see they're all outsourced. So I think it's, it's, it's our, you know, one of our many, um, you know, Jones, you know, founded by Bobby Brown, that's one of our kind of leg up. Um, another leg up will be our, our, you know, products and, and, and I'd love for another one to be our experience. So that's the yeah. goal. And you were telling me one of the harder things when we were at the show was like that when we'll buy like from multiple brands for multiple purposes. So it's like trying to get them in for like the whole kind of set. Like I just started ordering from like Huron, the, like the men's mm -hmm. kind of like care brands. And it's like, I bought a few things, but now it's like, okay, well, like maybe I should just move all of it to over here. And it's like, how do you get that transition over there? Coming from food and beverage, where everything's just like the bulk of the the larger food and beverage food and beverage brands are are one product and a couple of SKUs, right? It's like Liquid Death as like the three flavors of sparkling and still, right? There's not there's not a very wide SKU assortment, and I think because of that, it's just like marketing is pretty bland, right? It's just like if you buy this water and you like it, buy the other one with Olipop. It's like if you like this flavor, try this. You might like that. With beauty, it's it runs the gamut, you know, everything from a cleanser to a, to a face powder. And it's just like, how do you find the ideal, is there an ideal customer journey? And how do you kind of navigate the retention loop of like connecting a customer through that journey by, you know, finding if, if, you know, if you like this, is there a chance you'd like that a versus B versus C and what's the easiest kind of step up, which on the education side, um, as a dude that never wore makeup, I think that's the hardest part for me. Like, you know, leading retention it's like how do you how do you dive deep into the product so um it's been fun where i now tell my wife like no you're supposed to put that first um and she says get out of my face yeah the, ta <laughs> the tables have turned yeah all right. Well, yeah, I think, uh, you know, we, we usually, when we have guests, we want to spend a little bit more time on the background and everything. So I think that was great and super helpful. Uh, and we'll give out your kind of information for brands that want to reach out like towards the end. Uh, but let's kind of dive into brands that uh, caught our eye. Uh, Taylor, obviously Eli and I were at Expo East, so we'll have a few brands we can rattle off there, but any brands that kind of caught your eye over the last week, Taylor? Um, so one old school that, um, came out with something recently that like, I just love. So ocean spray has like a, 
a sparkling cocktail juice. It's, it's like, I can't stop drinking it. And the irony is, is that I really don't like cranberry juice at all. <laughs> so it's, it's called like sparkling cranberry. It is by and large, like the best tasting cranberry juice I've ever had. It's refreshing. I like the diet flavor, but I also like the regular flavor. So anyway, that's lovely. And then, um, our favorite Brian Fulmer of First Look VC. Um, his box came yesterday. So First Look monthly box. And it had half day, I think it's like half mm -hmm. day tea tonic company. I think they're um, in Philly, right? I believe so. They're really nice guys. I had chatted with them just more broadly a few weeks ago. And I tried their, I think one of the core ones is their lemon iced tea last night. I, I loved it. I think it's great. And I'm an old school snack. <laughs> Eli, I am old school, like can't believe it's not butter. Uh, like all like, you know, I used ready whip every day of my life. So I always like <laughs> revert back to nostalgic stuff. So my husband and I still have all the Snapple in our I love fridge. It. Judge, judge if you like, but this is kind of as close as I, eh, I don't know. It's kind of like a new spin on the lemon version of Snapple. I thought it was really, really tasty. But I'm excited to hear more about what you guys have seen. Um, heard a little stuff from Nate and some others, but yeah, curious what stood out from on your yeah from your perspective from Taylor. Uh, the funny thing about that is, I think on on my my online persona is that I am like always eating healthy snacks, but if you looked <laughs> at my at my pantry, it's kind of embarrassing. Um, I'm like chocolate candy, like Mike and Ike sour. That's like my go-to. Um, any sort of chocolate, uh, sour candies, uh, sour patch kids, um, ocean spray. I have been making a meatball recipe using ocean spray jellied cranberry with some oh, tomato interesting. sauce. Interesting. Okay. Very yeah. It's like a sweet huh. and sour. I just ordered it from target for pickup right before so this call. <laughs> so why don't, why doesn't Eli, why don't Eli, you and I do like a once a month where we just like bring on founders of like nostalgic brands, like Arizona iced tea has been on my radar. And there's someone there as Cam knows, trying to bring him on. We could do like anyone from like, it just, it, and we pick like one brand and there are like nostalgic interview of the month and you can find someone who works in house it. for Swedish fish, sour patch. Yes. Gushers. Yes. I it. just had an entire package of gushers last night, like a family <laughs> size one. I, so I could have told you, like, gun to my head. I would not know if they were in production or not anymore. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> they they uh, had it on sale on GoPuff, and I'm like, what kind of psychopath doesn't buy it on sale on GoPuff? Um, yeah, I yeah. saw like I saw yeah. now what? <laughs> what psychopath does not? Like, I wasn't I wasn't a big I wasn't a big gushers guy. Now later is those were those were my okay. jam, and I use I see those now like at Seven Eleven and stuff, and it's like I'm I'm tempted, but uh, we have like uh, they shut down our whole street for halloween so we're just stocking up on candy so i'll don't do like uh, smarter sweets no, no 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 smarties yeah. the yeah, kids yeah. hate it yeah just yeah. give I them the real candy yeah yeah no that's it's better just to like give them like nuts or something instead of smarties um, oh gosh <laughs> uh so eli i'll uh you know we can kind of go one for one and just kind of yeah. talk about different brands that cut our eye uh i think for me you know on the candy thing so uh julie's launched this thing called juliet's which were like um they were kind of like their spin on a raisinette which was like a chocolate covered mm. date mm. so it wasn't like a full date it was like chopped up pieces of date they were awesome like spectacular i think they wow. won like the next award for like the best like chocolate snack that was there um but that to me was one of the things that i tried that i really liked the other one was the dulcie brownies um 
they were really good. They're like this, like kind of superfood functional brownie. I liked what they talked about is that they were giving out like stickers that said like embrace, embrace moist vibes. Like their whole thing was like Incredible. moist, 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 like just taking everyone's least favorite word. And like the brownies are like super moist for like a packaged uh, brownie and they were awesome. So those were, those two were one of the better uh, like snack things that I tried um, during the show. And there were some beverages that I can touch on, but Eli, how about you? Yeah. I mean, I think the, the funny thing about the Dulcies is like moist was that one word that everyone's like, yeah, you can have it. And they're like, well, fuck yeah. Um, and they took ownership of it. So I thought it was really funny. And it's, I'm, I'm really not about like healthy snacks, but that did not taste healthy at all. Like that yeah, was, was really, good. really good. Yeah, it just tasted like a like a brownie you took out of the oven like five minutes too early, which was like awesome. Like yeah. it, it was so good. Yeah, I I so one of my favorites. Um, I'm a beverage person. I love trying all the beverages. Um, obviously, used to work at Olipop, and now there are a bunch of others in this space that are messing around. Like you know, there's there's poppy, there's um, culture pop and, and a whole slew of others. But one of the newer ones in the space is Perfy. Um, and they have a couple of flavors that are absolutely amazing. But the Dr. Perfy is like the best Dr. Pepper dupe I've ever had. And it's funny because I never loved Dr. Pepper growing up, but I thought that, oh, that interesting. was delicious. Yeah, I thought it was delicious. I think it was like the macros were like four grams of sugar, five net carbs and like 20 calories. And it has like L-theanine and ashwagandha and all the fun stuff. That was really good. And the hmm. other thing that I don't know if it's healthy, but um, the the they had uh, Katie's frozen pizza, which was like a restaurant that shut down during COVID, and they just turned the operation into frozen pizza. So it's like hand stretched dough, wood fired with like local veggies. It was probably the best frozen pizza I've ever had in my life. Um, those... uh, wait, I have. Oh yeah, go for it. No, what that, you say? that sounded really good. And I saw a bunch of people posting about it and I was kind of bummed that I didn't uh, make my way over there. Did you guys, one of the brands that I want to call out, even though I didn't try it, but I already followed them last night. Thanks, Nate Rosen is go nanas. I grew up eating banana bread, like all uh, banana bread is like the epitome of my childhood. Again, nostalgia. They're doing these like mug cake ish thing. My bobbers. It's like, I don't really care that it's vegan quite frankly, but it is women owned. So that's cool. So they're doing like, Oh my God, like cookie dough. I'm just looking. It's called go Nana's like cookie dough, banana bread mix. Like what could possibly go wrong with something like that? I don't know. I'm assuming it's like a mug cake. I just thought that was really cool too. Yeah, so it's very good. I got one at Expo West. I didn't get it here, but like I brought it home and like me and uh, my little guy like demolished it. They were really good. Uh, and the branding is really cool too. Um, but yeah, that, that brand's pretty awesome. I'm excited to see kind of where they're going here in the future. Um, yeah, for me, beverage awesome. for me, beverage wise, I thought like the interesting ones were a VEC, which I just posted about uh, like on Twitter. I thought was really good. It's kind of like a non-alcoholic like spritz slash mixer option, which was like really strong flavors, like grapefruit and pomelo and yuzu and lime. Uh, so I really liked that. The other one was actually called Tim Tam Tummy, which is like a very funny name, <laughs> but it was like, it, it was a kid's kombucha. <laughs> Uh, which is like, I thought the value prop of a kid's kombucha was like a little interesting. Uh, and like, they still had a little bit of caffeine, which like, like, it's like, I don't need to give my two and a half year old, like any more caffeine or anything, but it was like really subtle. And like, sometimes kombucha can like hit you in the face. And I liked these cause it was almost like a little bit of like a watered down kombucha, which might not sound appealing, but I thought it was like really solid. Um, and then the other one too, it's like, 
um, you know, uh, a good restock brand too, but it's called Pasta Life. They actually did all the straws for our uh, big party that we threw on Friday too, but there's their, uh, their straws made out of pasta. Like paper yeah. straws suck. We all know that. Um, everyone wants to get plastic straws. Um, uh, you know, everyone's kind of hot or cold on like the metallic straws, but like these straws are made from like, it's basically like a big piece of like penne, right? But it's like shaped as a, it's shaped as a straw, holds up perfectly. Uh, it's kind of like a gimmick because you can eat it at the end as well. Um, but like, it was like the talk of our party. Everyone loved them. Uh, and they had a booth there too. Uh, two really good guys uh, out of the New Jersey, New York area. So um, yeah, really um, love that product too. The other, the other two products that I was excited about, um, Snow Days, which is Human Co. from Jason Carp. Um, I thought that was like so nostalgic, like a little. Cam loves that. Cam Delicious, loves mad you good. Cam, you like Snow Days, right? Yeah, yeah, it's very that. good. Bonkers good. Um, yeah. it's also like it's not terrible for you, right? Like grain-free, organic veggies, grass-fed yeah. mozzarella, olive oil, all the like removed all the terrible things, but still nostalgic. I'm a sucker for anything like that. Like anything that's kind of like nostalgic, but better for you, but doesn't taste like shit. Um, yeah. They're, they're, um, the like dough almost tastes like a Jamaican, like patty dough. It's like hmm. that like yellow tint to it. And it's like, it's very good. Yeah. It's, it's an awesome product. And then this is Nate's going to cancel me over this one because he was not into it, but, um, Blackbird Satan, um, they had like these tenders or nuggets that they drenched in buffalo sauce and it was so good it tasted exactly like a like a boneless wing um it was vegan plant-based kosher non-gmo all the fun stuff i thought that was that was really good um other than that it's like i don't know i probably ate my weight plus in snacks and there was like nothing mind-blowing outside of like the like five to ten as far as I am concerned, but again, I'm like not the the health shopper. Caveat. Yeah, there wasn't. It was it was a much better show than last year because like uh, the Delta variant was kind of going wild last year, and like half the booths were empty. Uh, like the energy was really good. There were some cool booths, like uh, Midday Squares had like a claw machine. Uh, it was kind of funny. Like literally it was like an empty booth and just a claw machine. So it was like, you know, they can kind of do no wrong. Um, and there were some other cool booths. Um, the other one too was uh, the, the Little Goat, which is Stephanie Izard's brand. Those sauces are really good. I saw like 10, like I feel like top chef or like ex contestants, like at the show who have all like started brands. You had Spike uh, there with, with Just Ice Tea, who I think like does the flavors there. That was the biggest bummer. I forgot to stop at the Just Ice Tea booth and try that. Um, so I'll have to check that out at Expo West or, or whenever they hit the market. But uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was a good time. It was good to see everybody, a lot of good events and stuff. And um, yeah, I can't wait for uh, Expo West. Cam, the last one. Um, Todd Carmichael from La Cologne, um, has his new seltzer. What was it called? I don't even remember. Yeah. He I didn't a... see that one. Uh, but we can, uh, we can check it and tag it in the show notes. Yeah. New seltzer. It was really odd. It was like, not it's it, like the bubbles. The only way to describe it. Oh, it's called lofty water. The only way I described it is like, it tastes like the bubbles are inverted. Like they're not, they're super soft on you. It's just like the the most, like it tastes like a bubbly water, but you don't feel the bubbles. It's like the softest beverage ever. It was really strange. Yeah. 
there was there was a there was another brand that was doing talking about nostalgia they were doing lunchables but like for like kids it was called like Yim, mighty yum uh like the packaging was like almost a little too juvenile i thought <laughs> <laughs> like it was like it, it was like a little like kind of was like tacky um looking but like the product was really good i think once they kind of refine the packaging they're kind of onto something but it was like plant-based like lunchables for kids i guess lunchables already inquires that it's for kids but it was uh it was uh pretty interesting to see that uh, and i know from like a logistics standpoint uh creating that product both from a packaging standpoint and a sourcing standpoint is really difficult so uh kudos to those guys for sure um Cool. Well, let's dive into the topics. Um, it wasn't actually on our original topics, but uh, it broke yesterday. Uh, and it's obviously a CPG darling, so we had to talk about it. But Liquid Death raised their Series D, I believe, uh, about $70 million, uh, led by Science Ventures. This is definitely something when CJ comes back on the show next week, we'll touch base with him because we'd love kind of his thoughts from an investor standpoint. Um, but yeah, Liquid Death, obviously, I think one of those five or six kind of beverage brands that just absolutely crushing it. There's a lot of reference points talking about Monster and Celsius and how long they took to get to $100 million in sales um, and kind of how quickly um, this brand that's under three years old um, is now on track to get to that. There's also some conversation about like, you know, there's some notable CPG investors talking about like, listen, you're going to spend $100 million to get to $100 million, right? Like, uh, you know, that is that one-to-one kind of... Um, thing actually sustainable and then there was you know some haters of like this is water in a can not really truly understanding like the marketing capabilities of this and like that's just what they sell but at the end of the day this is just a massive marketing engine um but yeah i, I was uh, i was excited to see this i think this means more you know cool product line extensions um more freedom and autonomy and kind of what they're doing in their marketing um and i think just i hopefully gives a lot more flexibility and creativity to brands like Bora Bora and things like that that think outside of the box and the way that they approach their business and their flavor profiles and everything like that. So I was super excited to see it. Eli, what was uh, your thoughts and, and what's your thought on the brand and kind of some of the, you know, haters or, you know, uh, kind of, uh, you know, some people who would just say, hey, listen, at the end of the day, this is a water brand. Um, I mean, it's all crazy. Like I, I was one of the people that doubted them until about a year and a half ago. I think once I started working at Olipop and connected with some of the people there, I was like, okay, they are okay, doing every single thing differently. I mean, like, let's talk numbers. Um, bottled water is a $500 billion market globally by 2030. So they did 130 million in revenue. So it's it's like, there's still a ton, a ton of space there. Um, like you said, 70 million series D. Um, I think they did 130 million in revenue expecting 250 next year. At 130, it's like five-ish X. Uh, the revenue, which is not crazy. Um, like you said, they raised a ton of money. They raised, I, I think it was 195 mil year to date. Um, the interesting thing to me, so obviously water is water is water, right? There's like 50 brands on the shelf, but there are still 50 and they're all like some of these, you know, Aquafina is still alive and doing it. Taste-wise, some of the water uh, the water nerds, um, say it's delicious. I think it's, it's not bad. Um, I love the flavored ones. I'm drinking a berry it alive right now. I think from a marketing perspective, they are okay doing every single thing differently, um, which gives them a ton of space. Like the way they're thinking about, uh, wholesale, you know, people are just grabbing these boxes off the shelf. It's pretty expensive. 
they are, you know, of, as far as beverage, from my perspective, I think they were the only brand that was actively pushing people to purchase their stuff on Amazon. They got favorable um, pricing. You know, the average Amazon seller is giving Amazon 20-ish percent. They were getting away with a lot less. Um, the other, the last super interesting thing for me. So yeah, I think they're, I think they're crushing it. I think they're killing it. I think anyone that doubts them doesn't understand the value of brands. Um, they're talking about an IPO. So I think that's interesting. We're comparing them to, you know, the Celsius and, and the bubblies and, you know, everything else in this universe. But I, I mean, from my perspective, once you get that 700, once you get a 500 million plus valuation, you're kind of limiting the amount of strategics that are going to buy you out, especially, I mean, if, if you get to a point where you're a huge threat to Coke or Pepsi or, or Keurig, they might, but I think once you, my personal opinion is once you hit 500 plus, you're, you're barreling towards IPO. And again, like most IPOs in the last few years didn't necessarily do great. So you're basically just doing a WeWork and pouring your debt onto the public market. Um, will they crush it on the public market? Quite possibly. I think they're going to, this is my take. I think they'll go closer to IPO than, than selling to a strategic once they get to this valuation. But yeah. It's it's tough. I mean, most acquisitions in CPG happen under 100 million. So when you're like one of these, you know, uh, you know, destined to be a kind of unicorn CPG brands, like those acquisitions become a lot harder. I think with the IPOs of like Oatly and Beyond Meat and things like that, a lot of the issues kind of go back to product and like what's the actual scalability of the products into the masses. Like that's not really the issue here, right? It's not like you're there's any like um, education or anything. It's water, and so yeah. I think it's also more than water. It's like it's also somehow and non-alc, you know, option because of the the packaging. Um, so they're also I, doing millions in merch, right? right? Like, I don't think that's spoken about enough. These guys are crushing it with merch. They release like a new t-shirt every week. Like these yeah. guys yeah. are crushing it. And they can be an experienced yeah. company, right? Like they could do, they could basically spin out their own version of like live nation in the future and probably do well with that. So there's a, there's a ton of stuff here. Taylor, what, what were your kind of thoughts on this? Um, when you read about the Rays and kind of where they're going and some of the feedback from other people, um, you know, in the industry who might not understand kind of why they would get this type of valuation. I mean, my favorite was last night, the founder, <clears throat> one of the two founders, Mike, he had put, he had put up on his LinkedIn and he was like, we have an entire story written about us in High Times, which is the biggest cannabis magazine. He goes, so we have nothing to do with CBD or THC. It's just like, it's Incredible. just nutty, right? <laughs> it's, in, it's, it's freaking, it's insane. Like, literally, it's like the conquest of liquid death. And he's like, this is great. But like, again, like, it's so not about necessarily at this point in time, it's like, in my opinion, and I talk about it pretty often, it's like when I advise founders, it's like, it's less about the liquid, man. It's about like the image. It's about how it fits into a lifestyle. Like they wanted to create a can that looked cool. So if you go into a bar and you're not interested in having a beer, you still fit in, right? And so I think it's just to me, I think I'm saying what everyone else has said, but I feel like it's just a genius company when it comes to marketing. The water, fine. I mean, I don't even necessarily, quite frankly, love the the flavor, the kind of the the SKUs that are like the flavored versions of it. But it's not even about that. Like you said, like they may create a Live Nation spinoff or they sell merch or they do cool. We talked last week about them working with small businesses to do some, you know, ambassadorship program. Like they've just developed this brand. That's just quite frankly, like right now, fairly unstoppable. 
um, without there being much substance behind it. It's just how it fits into a lifestyle and making something cool. And I think that they have just nailed this to a degree that I, I haven't seen before. And again, going back to it being water in the can is just, it's mind boggling. Um, yeah, I think it's, I, I think it's great. It, it reminds me like a lot about like Dollar Shave Club back in the day, like where like Dollar Shave Club was the worst razor you could buy. Like it was awful, but like I still bought it because like the, that YouTube video and the marketing and, and everything just kind of spoke to like under 30 year old males and like they just knew their audience and it, it went over really well. And obviously they exited for a billion plus like, but like, yeah, I mean, this, this brand's awesome. I love like the cutie paludies. Like that was like the best thing that they ever did where it was like a line of stuffed animals that had like straws and plastic all around them. And like, they were selling like these deformed, like <laughs> these deformed stuffed animals, like basically raising money to get like uh, plastic taken out of the ocean. Like just the, um, the freedom to kind of think about marketing and talking to your customers that way um, is really cool. And I think like mission-based companies, like they are a mission-based company, but like they never talk about the mission. They just do it through this like cool marketing. It's kind of like, I almost feel like people like in like Congress or like the Senate, like who are working on climate change almost need to go and talk to the people at like liquid death and be like, listen, this is how you do it. This is how you get people to care. Like this is actually, they're actually selling at the end of the day, a mission. Like they have a really big mission they're trying to accomplish, but they never touch on it. They're just trying to make cool shit. And it really, it, it really goes, you know, well, and, and they're the best ones to do it. And again, hopefully it trickles down and there's a lot less like me too brands, like in CPG and a lot more people trying to think creatively about the space. What I took from Cam's uh, piece was that we should get more CPG marketers into politics. Um, and I think, <laughs> and I think this, is, on. this is where Eli is announcing his platform for, <laughs> for the midterms. I think it's, um, no, I think it's, spot on. I think it's spot on just like from, from the point of getting people to care. Like there are so many, like, you know, who needs it brands, like you're saying. Right. And I think it's, it's what liquid death did is taking a regular liquid and made people care about it is, it's kind of mind blowing, but it also says something about you, right? If you're holding a liquid death can, like people look at you and shake their head. Like, I think it's just created this tribe and, and the community piece, I think is often not spoken about enough as well, right? These are people that are like, just going around and peddling this, like, a, like it's a gospel. And I think we'll see, we'll see more of that as, 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 you know, 2022, 2023 um, comes along. I think we'll see brands invest a lot more in community than they are right now. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy to have the same consumer who's like, I'm buying this because I, I care deeply about the planet and I don't want there to be plastic. And then have the consumers like, oh, this is sick. It's a flaming yeah. skull. Like, it's like having that, like those two consumers, like is what makes it an unstoppable brand for sure. Um, cool. Well, moving on uh, Foxtrot, which we don't actually talk too much about um, on the show, but I thought this article was really cool, especially since we had Eli on. Um, they just launched a membership program. I think Foxtrot, between the curation that they do, the, the a lot of their consumer um, activities they do, it just seems like they're kind of ahead of the curve. Um, they raise a ton of money. Uh, I'm looking forward to hopefully them coming out here by us because uh, I haven't actually been to one before. Um, but they just launched their kind of uh, member plus system um, where they're basically you know starting to reward customers, which I kind of thought was interesting that the threshold was only $100 a month where they, they kind of say, hey, anybody who spends over $100 a month in a Foxtrot is kind of like our A customer. And we need to be able to provide them with membership discounts and, you know, new products and member only aisles 
um, and you know discounts inside the store. I just thought that that was interesting. One that the hundred dollars was a threshold for that customer. I thought this was a really cool customer experience um, to be able to offer their shoppers. Uh, I think the I, the idea of like a members only aisle is a very cool thing inside of a store. Um, so I'm excited to see how Foxtrot continues to lean in on curation. Um, you know, I've said multiple times on the show, like my idea of what the future of retail is going to be is much smaller store formats, really focused on curation and product experience. Uh, and I think Foxtrot's obviously leading the way there. Um, Eli, obviously, Eli, obviously, uh, you know, customer experience is, is your background. Kind of what did you think about this and, and what's your thoughts on Foxtrot as they continue to grow? Um, so bear with me because these thoughts aren't completely finished. Um, but a few things. Caveat, I've never been to a Foxtrot. Um, waiting for them to come to Jersey, PA, like you said, Cam. Um, number two, I spent the last like year and a half noodling on like membership, loyalty, and all that. And I think there's this broader, you know, like you think about the Amazons and the Walmarts, right? Where they already developed this massive market share. And they're like, if you want in on this, you're paying 69 or 112 or $119 a month for membership. With this membership, you get access to A, B, and C. So you're giving people quicker shipping, et cetera. They're already shopping with your brand. If you have Amazon Prime and not Walmart Plus, you'll probably allocate more of your spend towards Amazon, which is a no-brainer. Um, you know, and then there are these other memberships where you're essentially a Costco, right? You have to pay to get in. Um, also, kind of in the hemisphere of an Amazon or 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 a Walmart, I think what Foxtrot is doing is essentially, you know, a hundred dollars or more. For my understanding, is like one point two or one shopping experience at a Foxtrot, right? So they're basically targeting the loss aversion piece where it's like, if you're getting a free coffee every month, uh, most people would be excited about it and come take it um, and then spend a lot more money. So I think it's, you know, we call it a membership. I think it's, you'll clearly see people that have this membership spend more money. I don't think it's costing them a ton. Um, if they're selling a beverage for seven, it's probably costing them two and a half. So essentially it's a, it's a marketing play, spend 250, get people to spend another hundred dollars in your store. All the rest of the stuff is flair. It's fun. It's exciting. I think the only kind of hot take and the only pushback for me is I don't think that this necessarily creates loyalty. Um, I think this might get people to spend more money. I think the, the, the only piece that we're missing here is like, how can we get other people to share the positive experiences they have at a Foxtrot. Maybe that comes naturally, but I think it's it's a ploy. People will spend more money. Um, it's going to end up being like a P&L question. Like, does the spend make sense? Um, they either continue this into next year or the year after that, or they cut it because it doesn't return on their investment. But I think there's, I think there's more depth that brands can take um, into like creating like real loyalty versus the membership approach. But yeah. I also think we're very early here. Yeah, I mean, I, you look at the gold standard, which is like Costco in our industry, right? And it's like that membership actually means something. Like I'm actually paying into it uh, and you're getting a lot of value back. Like to the point where it's like, if you shop there religiously for a year, you can probably afford to take your kids on like a Disney cruise because they have like partnerships and mm -hmm. things like that. So it's like, when that's the gold standard, it's like, 
okay, like $3 off a coffee or, you know, like, like little things like that. Like, are they enough to bring that customer back in just to like ping them and like, um, you know, get them to come two or three times a month versus just one time. Um, yeah, I think that's probably the, the reason that we're seeing like hundred dollars be the threshold for this and not like extreme loyalty. Cause they obviously have a ton of data where they're seeing, Hey, listen, like after a hundred dollars, we're like, we don't have to worry about those customers almost like those customers are coming back in. It's those hundred dollars are hovering around where we need to get them back in multiple times. Taylor, what was your thought? Have you won? Have you been to a Foxtrot? And then what was kind of your thoughts on this, um, you know, on this and, and how do you think, um, you know, Foxtrot can kind of expand on it? Yeah, no, I have not. Um, I am talking with the head of wine next week for Foxtrot. So I'm going to be curious to hear more about their strategy there. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I too was kind of intrigued by the members only aisle and figuring out that I don't know if I like or like love or hate that, to be honest, but I think it's interesting, if nothing more. Yeah, I agree with everything you guys are saying. I mean, I like the, you know, $1 coffee. I think those are all kind of nice little bells and whistles. But at the end of the day, like to your point, Cam, I think when it comes to those types of like longer term, you know, membership programs, I think it's, it's, in my opinion, it seems to be at least more, you know, more substantial, right? Like when it comes to what they're offering and discounts and stuff like that. So these are like nice to haves, if that makes sense, versus like total game changers. Uh, so I agree with both of you. I think, you know, I'll be curious to see like to Eli, to your point, like if this sticks or not, if it makes sense financially for them. I think it's nice. I think they're more like nice to have bells and whistles. Like, great. I'd love, I'd love to have some gourmet popcorn, um, but I'd really love like 15% off, you know, my whole order. Um, so yeah, I don't know. The interest is, it isn't necessarily my day-to-day wheelhouse, but just generally looking at it, you know. Yeah. It, it'll be interesting. Cause like most retailers look at it as like, how can we get more of the shoppers weekly grocery basket? Like that's the thing they're trying to figure out, but I can't imagine that that's Foxtrot's internal conversation. Cause like no one's going into a Foxtrot from what I know and like doing their weekly shopping. It's more of like, you're going in there and picking the few things that you can't probably can't find. Um, like at your, you know, conventional grocery store or even like your Whole Foods or your Trader Joe's, um, like almost like kind of like how we use Thrive inside of our like family. Like that's what we're using to kind of like round out the options that we have. And we order from them once a month. Um, and I think that's how I would approach Foxtrot. So for them, I think they just understand like the value of just a customer coming in one more time a month is so great that they're going to end up spending X amount that we just need to have enough of a perk to get them back into the store at some point. So uh, yeah, but love, love the brand uh love uh love everything about it wish they were over here uh because for living so close to new york there are you know a shortage sometimes of like really cool independent grocery stores there's some awesome ones like brooklyn fair and foragers i think just shut down which sucks but uh, there's some awesome ones but we'd also you know love a foxtrot as well um all right well we talked about merch um a little bit and uh, we actually talked about Manischewitz too. So we've got a lot of uh, intros into this next topic, but uh, we love pulling stuff from Modern Retail. They do really great deep dives. Um, they talked about kind of uh, the marketing um, conversation started that Manischewitz has now with their merch strategy, just making really fun, um, cool shirts, uh, different products, uh, sweatshirts, things like that, and, and really making sure that they're top of mind for like this 130 year old kosher brand, right? 
is actually cool. Um, and the product and the swag is pretty cool. And like, um, you know, I, I think um, it's, I don't think enough brands really approach um, swag uh, in this way, um, where again, like it's almost just a billboard for you and your brands. Um, and so Eli, I wanted to, kind of, we can start with you, kind of what's your thoughts on this? How have the brands that you've previously been on approach swag? Because for the brands that I've been with, it's always been like, throw away tote bags at a trade show and things like that. Not like, Hey, this is something they're adding to their, their cart when they purchase the product and, and they're going to really resonate with it. So, you know, what's your thoughts on this? Yeah. Um, my thoughts broadly are, you know, when it comes to swag, there's, you know, brands that create swag for their employees to wear around the office. Right. And then there's brands that, you know, create swag to share their mission with the world I think 90% of brands fail at, at options that, you know, at the second option, just because what they think is exciting for other people to wear, people don't actually care about, right? Like a t-shirt just says the name of your brand is not necessarily exciting for people. Um, when done really well, you know, Liquid Death, great example of a brand that did it really well, right? People are excited about the mission when they wear this shirt, they're showing, hey, I'm one of you guys. Um, it's a walking billboard. It's a no brainer. They liquid death kind of like in liquid death in true liquid death fashion, gamified the whole thing. If you sign up for a subscription, you get a t-shirt for free. So they're basically giving away these t-shirts. It's a no brainer, right? People are running around wearing liquid death on the street. It's a brand that's popping up everywhere. Now you're like, oh, they're even more everywhere than I thought. Um, I think most brands don't, don't get to that point where people are begging to buy their merch. Um, and some brands will just launch it way too early and it just sits on their site forever. I think Menashevitz is interesting for a bunch of reasons. Um, first of all, like you said, this brand is 100 and something years old. Um, you know, when it comes to kind of Judaism as a spectrum, um, millions of people that are eating kosher around the world out of that percentage, um, there's, you know, the, the ultra Orthodox universe that I came from, those people won't be caught dead with a t-shirt that says the soup with balls. Um, that's kind of like out of line and interesting. Menashevitz is owned by an Orthodox Jewish conglomerate. So they're, they're act, you know, they're obviously looking from, from an inside perspective, they're obviously looking to kind of broaden their audience and how can we make this thing that people buy for Passover cool again. Right. So I think it's, you know, Menashevitz as a brand has become like the Passover slash Yom Kippur slash like the few Jewish holidays you buy it at your shop, right. Versus like a cool brand and and hey they got the internet talking like like you said a modern retail article is no small thing this is you know the agency that's working with them has been working with them for a long while the head of the agency worked at worked at royal wine which is you know the company that bought menashevitz so he's been part of this universe for a while um it's interesting like i'd love to see an agency just say like fuck it let's try something new um and it's paying off so i think it's I think it's doing exactly what they intended for it to do. Yeah, no, I, uh, yeah, I, I think the, the swag is pretty cool. I definitely don't think it's for like the you know Orthodox community who probably is never going to leave that brand, right? It's probably yeah. for the others that they're trying to, a younger generation, they're trying to pull into the brand uh, for sure. Uh, Taylor, what was your thoughts? And will you be buying a soup with balls t-shirt soon? <laughs> <laughs> I love how much we've been talking about Manischewitz in this episode. <laughs> uh, I too came, Eli. I went to a school where I spoke Hebrew half the day and English half the day until I was like 15. Fun fact. I don't 
speak conversational anymore at all. So um, I like it. I think it's, I agree. I think it's trying to expand its, its demographic. I, you know, it, the one thing I will say is what I've seen work really well recently, um, kind of in terms of swag and stuff like that, the best practice I actually sent through a lot of my founders this past weekend, uh, Campari has had this program called Negroni Week for you know five, six years, if not longer, where bartenders for a week give proceeds to charity of choice and they create like their favorite Negroni recipe, right? And then over the years, we've brought in like lip glosses that are infused with Negroni, whatever. But now they've like upped the stakes almost a decade in and they partnered, just giving an example with, and I don't know if you guys have seen it, it's been all over my social, but this company, uh, Percival, and so it's uh, it's like they say one part Campari, one part you. We partner with Campari to celebrate ten years in Negroni Week. Shop the collection, and it's like you know, t- literally like work shirts, like industrial work shirts that have like a bottle of of Campari on the back for two hundred and seventy dollars, and they sold out sight on scene. Uh, a sweater with like a you know a Negroni, and it's two hundred and fifty dollars and sold out sight on scene. So I don't know. I think that whole like FOMO with swag and stuff. I don't know, like from what I see that works, uh, it's just when they have this kind of, I think from a limit, LTO perspective, it seems to always resonate, even if people like love it or hate it. I think people just like want to purchase things that are in some way limited edition. And uh, it, this whole line is just legit, like Negroni t-shirts and sweatshirts and sweaters wow. and highly <laughs> unnecessary items, like a, a velvet jacket for $230, like gone. And I'm sitting there, I'm just like, this is crazy stuff, right? Taylor, and I'd love do- the I'd love the Campari jacket for 270. Seems like they're <laughs> running low on sizes. <laughs> I I would too, right? And then crazy. like I also Dumois is a guilty pleasure of mine, but it's a gossip website and they have these like anon please, so it's like anonymous please, and it's so tacky, but it's like they sent me an email saying we have a limited run of just black hoodies that say a non-please and you better believe that I purchased it and waited two months to get it. So I don't know. It's like less of, yeah, I think for me, from what I see that seems to work is like, it's less about like what's on the merch and more just like around the limited nature exclusivity of some mm-hmm. of these things that seem to resonate, at least in my opinion. But yeah, you're I, looking on it, right? Isn't it crazy? Oh, yeah. Crazy. yeah this, is, this is one of the crazier things I've seen. But I think I think you're you're spot on. And I think what's been interesting as well is like, you know, we're seeing Kith, who has done collaborations with everything from BMW to like, God knows what. Um, they have done like a lot of collaborations with like Coke in the last few years, right? This like food and beverage um, collaboration on merchandise is super interesting. And I think it's it's kind of like the Campari is like nostalgic. It's it's cool. It's hip. It's kind yeah. of like this. It's this perfect Venn diagram with like nostalgic and hip. And I think that's like 270 is steep for a Campari jacket. But hey, if you love Campari, sky, yeah, sky's the that, limit. But, huh? it has that full, but it has that cult following, right? So like yeah, in my opinion around like the Manischewitz stuff, like if they did, like we have 15 t-shirts, like I'm telling you versus like selling it on like a merch site, I see it moving very fast because it has that same like, you know, brand loyal, you know, following it's nostalgic. It ha- I don't know. It has kind of that cult element to it. So maybe it's just the way in which it's being marketed or the, how, you know, the, how many they're putting out there. It all kind of factors into that, in my opinion. 
Um, I think the brands, like we talked so much, like when we first started the podcast about like brands using NFTs in creative ways, like it's almost like if you're just kind of using it in the same way where it's more of like a product drop versus just, Hey, listen, we're going to put our logo on something and it's going to continuously be up on the store. Like just doing like cool product drops, making it only available to like your newsletter or like people that follow you or customers that are ordering your products. Uh, like, I think that's a much more effective way, but I think seeing these like cool old school brands that have, you know, cultural relevance, um, it, it's pretty cool to see the, the way that they're going about um, swag and, and bringing new customers into the fold for sure. Sweet. Well, this always happens when we have good guests. We don't get to all the topics, but that is that is perfectly fine. Eli, we definitely appreciate you uh, being on the show this week. It was awesome meeting you in person. Uh, I look forward to BevNet or Expo West or any uh, future shows, hopefully, where we'll see you as well. Um, for anybody who has any CX questions, uh, do you mind kind of dropping the best place so that they can follow you and reach out? Thank you, Cam. Um, great to see you and great to chat with you, Taylor, as well. Um, you can find me on Twitter. It's at Eli Weiss, um, E-L-I-W-E-I-S-S-S, three S's. Um, it's, usually the, that's usually the easiest place to find me. And I honestly wish the real Eli Weiss would give me their account because it's getting kind of annoying. <laughs> yeah, the people got their like OG ads, like at Cameron, at Taylor, like those were, those were, if someone could just signal to us a couple of years ago, Very that valuable. would have been better. Um, yeah. All right, everybody. Well, another great episode. We'll see everybody next week. Please remember to review and give us five stars. Uh, we really appreciate that. And we'll see everybody next week.